Fire Tribe, where you at? I hope you're ready, rising from the ashes and it's getting heavy Conspiracies, we got plenty and some are scary From aliens to Bigfoot, extraordinary, yeah, yeah Danunaki Dan and the homie Romy I was bugging out, all the crazy things he showed me Jesus bloodlines to the stars in the skies Always a good time, vibing with the fire tribe Hey, So wake up, wake up, get it cracking Rise out the ashes, I know you got a passion Kick off the convo with theories, many conspiracies Other dimensions, plenty ancient history Fire tribe, where you at? Wake up we about to get into it, I know you can't get enough At home, at work, it don't matter, turn it up Rising from the ashes, you know what's up hey. uh, Rising from the ashes Hello everyone, welcome to Rising From the ashes, I'm Danu Naki Dan I'm the homie Romy, what is happening Dan? What's up man, so today we're here with Grand Dunlop from Grimerica Everybody knows Graham. Uh, we're having him on the show today because uh, he just recently read Miss and Pre-Columbian America by Donald McKenzie. And this month, we're getting into ancient America. And so we thought, since it might be fresh in his mind, that we'd kind of pick his brain about this. Graham has narrated over 60 books. Should I say over 60? Yeah, you could probably say that. I mean, over 50 for sure. Yeah, I kind of lose track, and some of them are compilations of all the other ones we've done. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, so uh, go check out Adult Brain and check out all these fabulous books that he's put audio to. It makes it really easy to check it out, listen, soak up some of the information without having to read it yourself. I actually have eye problems, and so if I read a book for too long, I I can't like I just got, start to get all blurry and. uh uh, or a certain light. If I'm in a weird light place, I can't read it. I have to read like somewhat in the dark. If it's too bright, I can't like, I just keep reading over and over again and nothing gets retained. Wow. Uh, yeah, so he's an old man. I really appreciate you having, having me on and to talk about all this. I mean, I'm an, I love to listen to books as well. Like it's harder for me to read than to listen. So mm -hmm. I feel pretty grateful and blessed to be able to read, to narrate all these books and, it's kind of become yeah. my job now, podcasting and reading books. And I, it's kind of something I manifested. I was like, I want to learn. I want to yeah. keep learning. Like I, I, and I just wanted to like be able to learn sort of at my own pace or to help people as well, to be of service to people. And this mm. seems to be working so far. Yeah. I mean, you guys have been doing this for what, 10 years or more? 12 years uh, podcasting? No, about about, uh, about nine years. Nine? Yeah. So pretty close. So you guys have been out there for a long time. You guys do like one to two guests a week. Yep. Yeah. And then you have several different shows now, three. Yeah. We have our regular show, the Grimerica show, which is the long, the long running one. And then we have another one called Grimerica outlawed, which is a different feed completely. And that's a, a premium feed. So the first half of that show is free. And then the second half we asked for mm -hmm. subscribers and, trying to sort of make a living that way. And then uh, we have a Rockfin channel that we just did. Uh, Ro Romy just did a uh, presentation for us. We're going to put that on our Rockfin channel. That's kind of just a thing we do every once or twice a month, throw video type content on there. But mm -hmm. our podcasts are now, we stopped streaming and doing the YouTube thing and all that. We just do audio only now again. So mm. for the, for the other two podcasts. And then we have some trips and stuff that we'll probably talk about yeah. contact at the cabin. Like we did one in Arizona magic on the mountain, which was pretty cool. So we have like, it's almost like an intimate gathering, like a mini conference in a way. Um, mm -hmm. I think, I think Rome, Romy, you and Darren have been talking about maybe doing that uh, in Hawaii with you. 
um, it's sort of cool because you have like a guest, maybe one or two guests that it maybe have been on the podcast or that have, you know, research or, or stuff to teach. And, and then you get, uh, you know, 20, 30, 40 people, sometimes more together and into a, a venue seems to be a really fun way to hang out with people. Yeah, man. I, I've seen the pictures from you guys going to Scablands and everything and uh, David Matheson and Randall Carlson and Joe Roop and stuff. Uh, uh, we, we can get into that now before we get into the book a little bit. Like what places have you guys gone on, on some of these contact at the cabin tours? And uh... yeah, we, uh, we started out in Colorado at uh, close to now. I'm I, actually, now I'm going to have to look that up. I always forget and, the name. And uh, what, why, what, for what reason are you picking these certain locations? Yeah. To... So the Colorado one, this it was our first one with Randall and we had three separate groups come in and we stayed in this big place uh, near Pagosa Springs. Uh, mm. So it was a good spot with the Springs there and everything, but it was close to a bunch of uh, old sites from the, uh, um, Pueblo. Mm-hmm. Remember there's that, uh, there's that big tower there. See, I don't have all the sites uh, handy with me. I should have had it all up, but there's, this is all the stuff that was built in the, like, I think uh, around a thousand years ago, around 1100s, okay. um, kind of left. Like it's still a bit, a bit mysterious the way these were it's constructed and then sort of, you know, that whole sort of civilization collapsed yeah. and he kind of Randall kind of related it to, the stuff that was happening with the cathedral building and it was happening in South America in America, in Europe, this really huge proliferation of, of uh, technical building um, uh-huh. sometimes astronomically aligned, like these ones in the Pueblos, like they were, they, you could see the month. There was a spot in this mountain. I'm trying to remember the peak. It was uh, one where you had to hike up this mountain and where the moon rises on a certain day right in between these stones. So they were like, they were aligned astronomically or lunarly. Uh, And and why were they being built around that time? Like, I think Randall sort of suspects that there was a climactic change then too. It was really when they came out of the dark ages and things started to get hotter and uh, Mm. that was able to um, proliferate around. So that's one of the reasons. I heard an interesting story of like in medieval times, how they always talk about everything being misty and like spooky, you know, and kind of uh, swampy is because at that time the the weather was changing so much. That's why they can wear all that armor plus a cape and and other warm clothes on their body because it was freezing ass cold. We look at it and go, why? how can you have all that stuff on? It'd be so hot. I'd be sweating like crazy. But they were able to because it was actually a very cold climate. Yeah. There was the uh, that huge park down there that has all those uh, hanging, those hanging uh, rock formations. And they have all the, all the, there's some cave art and they have the old dwellings underneath the rock in that canyon. I'm trying to remember what it's called here. I should have had this up. Um, you know which one I'm talking about, Romy? In Scablands? No, in uh, Colorado, near the uh, where all the all the Pueblo uh, stuff is. Anyways, I'll, I'll, if I think of it, I'll I'll uh, I'll mention it, but. Yeah, really old, interesting stuff. And then, and then the Scablands tours are more about the mega flood. So it's a completely different kind of, kind of thing. And, and that was really interesting to see in person because, 
you know, you don't think that kind of landscape is around in Washington, but it's pretty incredible. And, uh, and he really does a good job at explaining sort of how the floods might've come through here and destroyed this, this part of the North America. And to see it in person is quite astounding, you know? Yeah, yeah. there's, I, I, Washington is, uh, is one of those states where it kind of has all these little microclimates. People don't realize I was born and raised in Washington, actually. So I'm, I'm a Washingtonian born and bred, born in Port Angeles, uh, grew up in the Southwest part, but you know, you have the temperate rainforest up there, uh, with the oldest rainforest in the world. And it has some of the oldest, like old growth forest, as well as like the thickest moss um, and the mycelial mat network up there. That's why Paul Stamets chooses to be um, uh, working out of Olympia, Washington. But then the second you cross the Cascades, you go into desert and it's like scorchingly hot. And that's like right where the scablands are is like right in the middle of that um, of the mountain range, like right right over there. And yeah, Washington's cool, man. But I, I think there's um, something going on in Seattle with uh, all these uh, corporate characters. You know, I think there's an entrance to Hollow Earth there um, because it's just heavily magmatic magmatically controlled and we all know uh, how many alien and ufo sightings are around volcano and uh that it's called the ring of fire for a reason you know and washington is right up at this and bc and everything is all right there in the puget sound that's its own tectonic plate and so like i think there's some sort of like either electromagnetic hotspot these guys are able to teleport and transport but I, I i think seattle's got some some strange occult ties that i i've yet to break down but that's where I'd the like black to. eyed children come from too yeah i don't know this what is this <laughs> yeah the black eyed children they have the big black eyes and uh they'll try to they keep bugging you and try to let you uh they want you to let them in their house or their car or something and if you let them in then they ha- then you give them permission to do it you know you let the boogeyman it's, in. It's yeah. exactly. It's the whole vampire mythology there <laughs> yeah. and everything. It's so weird. Yeah. We had David oh. Weatherly on the show many, many years ago about the black eyed kids. We met him at a conference like in 2012 or 2011 or something. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's pretty scary stuff. <laughs> it's pretty um, good, man. But I, I didn't realize Washington. how hot Washington was in the center either. Cause I grew up in Vancouver and I always was on the coast, which is quite yeah. different. So I always thought of the whole state to be cold and wet and all that, but I didn't realize, you know, of course, it attaches to the Okanagan, which was its own little place in B.C., like its own little climate, its own little. It feels like you're traveling in a different country when you stay in the Okanagan and the B.C. and that whole wine valley. So that extends all the way down south. So, yeah, it was it was great weather when we were down there with with Randall, too, and he was showing us around all that site. So we stay in a place called Soap Lake, which is central to many of these places. So some of them are an hour or two drive away, but we travel to all these different places during the day. And then Randall gives us uh, presentations at night and stuff. And we try and get him to talk about esoteric nice. topics and the moon and stuff. But, you know, I think it was him that I saw talk about this <laughs> and it was how the, um, all of like Northern, there's like a big old, like half moon over the United States area in the North. And it was kind of all ice at one point. And all, when all of that melted down, that's what like went through, uh, these different lands up above and kind of all went into the um, the Grand Canyon in Arizona. And that's what kind of washed out a lot of the Grand Canyon. 
Yeah. Has he, has he talked about that all with you or? Yeah, you, uh... dude. Yeah. Cause he, I mean, we were, we were like in Canada, right in Calgary. We were at the point where they, the Laurentide, Laurentine ice sheet, I think it was called in the, the continental sheet. The two um, glaciers uh, were together. There was a little strip in Calgary that was between or in Alberta, I guess now that was between those, or they, it just butted up against them there, but they were like a mile or two high. Right. I mean, we were under that much ice and it melted fairly quick as far as we know. I mean, fairly quick as in maybe hundreds of years or maybe even less. I mean, but he talks about how that, and, and what Randall does is we do these zoom calls prior to these events, which um, we did even back from Colorado and Randall goes over a lot of the topology and a lot of the, the maps and stuff and where we're going and what to look out for and all that before we even go out. So you kind of get a sort of a, a personal sort of presentation from Randall before we do those. That's awesome. We started to do that with all our, with all our trips, actually, even the smaller ones, like we have one coming up in Arizona right now. I uh, know. Sorry. It's in Utah. The star myths with Dave Matheson in Utah. We go to Zion park and Bryce Canyon mm-hmm. and we'll do a zoom. Like we have a zoom this week, this week for, all the people that attend and Dave will talk about, you know, what we're going to do and kind of just a pre, a pre meeting event, a pre event meeting type thing. So that's a, first of all, it's genius. I think both adult brain and the meetups are like, just naturally attuned to what you would evolve in the podcast realm. It's like, okay, now, now we're creating this. Um, but I'm curious, what's the most like kind of strange thing you've seen on an outing? Like, have you, have you guys as a group oh. seen like any strange lights or anything? Yeah, dude, there, there's been, so there was a UFO sighting <laughs> at the last time I couldn't go because of COVID and I couldn't get across the border. Um, uh, Darren yeah. was Darren's Indian and he could do whatever he wants these days. Um, <laughs> so he, they saw Dave Matheson himself and a couple other people. They saw this UFO from a different angle. Like two people were down there going, what is that? And it was this shining thing turning in the sky. And Dave saw it too that time when we were at, at in Colorado, I was doing CSETI sort of CE five things with people. And I'd go up. I kind of fucked up a couple of times. The place I had set apart, I couldn't find it in the dark. And we ended up sort of just like see it sitting out by the stars and looking for stuff. We saw a few like shooting, uh, shooting stars and some flash bulbs, little bits and pieces, but a cup, there was two sightings, two UFO sightings. And what the guys think it is now was it was uh, Elon Musk's Starlink satellites. But when we, at the time when we looked at that being launched, the timing seemed to be off. But there was two sightings of, of that when we were there, which was really strange. Yeah. Hmm. Fascinating. That's before, awesome. And yeah, before I forget, I love that. Before I forget, that was uh, Chimney Rock was the one I was talking oh. about with the moon, the moon between the rocks and Mesa Verde. Oh. Mesa Verde was the other park with the dwellings underneath the overhang. So we went, we went and toured around all that. Um, there was a couple other places that we went to in Colorado at that point, that was our first kind of, that was our first one with, with Randall. And then we started doing the Scabland ones. And now we have one in Montana as well. It's going to look at the, the, uh, the, the mega floods from the Montana perspective. Yeah. I think one of the things, you know, that we really don't take into consideration when we talk about history is, is like I was saying with the medieval times is the weather. Like, what was the weather like? Like, you know, it sounds like an old person thing to say, but like, that can have like a very dramatic effect on things. I remember a, a story of some battle where they saw a, a a meteor in the sky and they 
took a break for a year while that meteor was in the sky <laughs> and then commenced battle again after it was gone because they thought it was like an omen from God not to fight anymore. So, I mean, th- these types of things play a huge part and and just like overall how things go uh so you know when you talk about like catechisms or catastrophic things happening and on in america it really ushers in new ages and and new ways of thinking and it seems like it has played such a big part in in things and and maybe you know people talk about these mud floods this is kind of why i'm going into the american history and and the catechisms and stuff like that is because people often talk about these mud floods in the 1850s but i'm kind of wondering if maybe it was around more of like these atlantis times when everything got washed out and maybe there was some of that that flood water covered america too and there was just already people here in america before that and and some of these interestingly enough some of these native american stories that we have here in america even talk about these things already being here and that they just kind of stayed away from these areas because they were the the city places that they didn't go to and they just kind of hung out in their own little areas so i think well, i want to hang out with the uh atlantean overlords right yeah, like, they were exactly. just obsessed with tech. Well, and even the native americans talk about the giants that were here when, and the battles that they had with them so obviously there was already some sort of people here right that w- i mean i don't know how big a average size native american in is but they were giants to them so they had to at least been uh i would say eight nine feet I mean, if I see somebody that's eight or nine feet and I'm six foot two and I see them, I'm like, dude, that guy's a freaking giant. He's huge. Yeah. I mean, there, that's the weird thing about these. The, there is some Mexican and uh, North American, South American myths about the flood and the ark. I mean, I'm reading this book called Ancient Egypt, Light of the World, Volume 2 right now. And the chapter I'm on is about um, the deluge and the arcs. And there's all these different I didn't realize how many different stories of the Ark there was as well, but I, I highlighted something here for you guys. Cause I knew you're going to be talking about the American stuff. And he says, you know, we've already cited one or two of the American and African instances, but in a Muska's myth, Hoythika was the first old mother who ruled when there was as yet no sun or moon. So it says she is described as a very thick woman who maliciously loved to spoil the work of her husband. It was she who <laughs> caused the flood from which, but a few persons escaped by seeking refuge on the mountaintops. So there's a whole bunch of these mythologies of mound building to escape the floods as oh. well, which is really interesting. That Seven mounds interesting. in a lot of these parts, sometimes correlated to star the stars. They call them the seven pole stars. And these things were mm-hmm. these set, these mounds and high mountaintops. The arc myths, a lot of them ended up on mountaintops, many, just not Ararat, but there was other ones as well. And then uh, they talk about th- this uh, this solar god put a stop to the deluge and uh, drove her from the earth and changed her in the moon. That's where it kind of gets a little uh, loony. But uh, <laughs> the result of the flood in this case was the same as in the destruction of mankind. And then they talk about there's an, there's a Mexican in Mexican pictures. There's an earlier type of the pole. Again, this pole, like the pole star mm-hmm. as a point of departure than the tower of brick. It has been called the starting point of the Aztecs after the deluge. Does it, does it go on to say how many degrees it is off? Uh, because I, I've heard recently that there's like a 23 degree 
uh, tilt of the earth in the round earth model. And, and I heard, a some type of archaeologist on a, on a, another podcast. And she was saying how they found some structures, but they're, they seem to be like 23 degrees off of where they should, they think they should be. Wow. That's so interesting. it's like, Oh, so it's like that, that was built that, that long ago. That's crazy to me. You know? Yeah. There was another one that wow. talked about the pole shifting every 3000 years or 3,700 years, but they kind of, mm. um, rounded it down to 3000 years. Yeah. So, I mean, and then I started thinking, man, is this something that, you know, it's kind of a, a cycle within the great year, but maybe the poles shift more frequently than we think, you know, like we think of it as like a, yeah. every great year, or every half great year. But what if it's like, like little, um, it shifts at 23 degrees every few thousand years. I mean, we're going to be like, maybe that 3000 years was part of the, you know, um, the end of the the Iron Age or something, you know, maybe when Mount Vesuvius went off. I mean, who knows what would that like if that shifted, would that cause a whole bunch of other natural disasters, too? Right. I mean, yeah. That would cause a lot of not things, Vesuvius. Right. I meant uh, Thera, like in that because that was part of the downfall to Egypt. Right. It was the end of when uh, Santorini blew up. That was only like a thousand B.C. or thirteen hundred B.C. or whatever, whatever it was somewhere around that time. That was like the loss of the Minoans, right? Yeah. That was Vesuvius in the Mediterranean. I think that was like 20-something twenty something hundred BC. Yeah. Uh, Gavin Mendes has a book uh, about Atlantis, and he talks about going into uh, one of those islands, Crete, I believe, and they, they punch down some lava, and they're able to get into like this cavern that filled up the inside and they had, they found all these reliefs uh, pictures on the wall of these giant ships and boats that they were using to, to navigate with. And, and that was around 20 something hundred BC. So they obviously had boat technology back then. You know, a lot of people will say, how did they come over here? How did anybody get over to America? How's there people in America before? Well, they, they had ways, man. Oh yeah, Thor Thor Heyerdahl proved it by going around in a reed boat. He made himself a reed boat and did it right. Came. Oh, he did it in a reed over boat. there. Yeah. Oh, you know you that's go. what I heard. I, there's a, there's another one here from that ancient Egypt book. Before we move on, Mexican tradition that the coyote, a co-type with the jackal and the dog, got wind of the coming deluge. To keep himself from drowning, he gnawed down a large cane that was growing on the bank of the river. Then he entered, then stopped up the end of it with a kind of gum to keep the waters out. So, mm. you know, there's all kinds of this weird North American or, I mean, South American. I don't know. I guess would that be Central America? Even the, just myths of the deluge as well. Yeah. So Yeah, it's fascinating. Because, you know, we think of mostly like the Middle East area of yeah. having to go through the deluge. We don't really think yeah. about it out here in the Americas. So, yeah. Even though it did happen, like, like Randall, you know, points out, it did yeah. happen mainly over here, really, you could say. Yeah, you can even like because you're Canadian, so you can kind of see like the different channels up there in the north, right? There's like a lot of uh, channels that kind of come through from like the North Pole area. So if you're situated at the North Pole, it's not too hard to just go down into Canada and take one of those river highways right down into America. 
Yeah. The other thing I kind of realized too, is that we don't really have the, like there's a spot where the ice was right, which mm-hmm. is Northern U S. So it, it went over the border into the U S but below that there's way more history down there. Right. It, Cause it wasn't yeah. frozen over for 50,000 years or whatever. Right. Yeah. So we don't have that history here. It's all just been covered over. I mean, who knows, maybe there's stuff going back before the, the uh the height of the ice age but i feel like we're kind of in a spot that's very just plain you know there's well pardon the pun yeah yeah what are the <laughs> the native people in canada called that are they inuit uh that's the that's the kind of the eskimos the ones up north oh, and okay. the yeah and okay. the, the that are still in the because i was thinking part. about that and that kind of sounds like anu anuit yeah anuits yeah that's interesting anuits. So I think Donald- I was just looking up. Go ahead. Oh, oh, I was just looking up, uh, just trying to find like I don't know, like any pictures of random old uh, boat shrapnel on top of mountain ranges, mm. because uh, you know we find I, I couldn't find any except for this one. Uh, they they claim that this megalith on top of Mararat is Noah's Ark, but mm-hmm. eh, it's up for debate because it's a uh, it's a pretty big rock structure, so it means it would have to be petrified in order for wood to petrify. It needs the inva- exact environmental conditions. Anywho, um, but I mean, obviously, there's a there's a huge deluge that happened. But the North America is is um is kind of sticky subjects to understand the timeline on it i mean we have randall carlson is basically the only person that we can go to for that kind of like research um and talking to of like what was happening here at this time and he says there was ice so we got to take his word and that's okay but but i'm like i'm wondering what like you know there's all of this misconstrued understanding of the timeline in general. Yeah, and yeah. so, you know, just c- trying to really understand the timeline from, I mean, we, we know that the Gregorian calendar, every calendar was been construed to that specific uh, time period, area, geographic location, religion, money, power, so on and so forth. And, I, I guess really what I'm getting at is there's definitely a deluge, but I, I like looking at um, all of these old megaliths on top of mountains, and you're like, how in the flying fuck did you get up there, bud? Oh, must have been all water around. Must have been really easy to get to. I've thought of that, too, because you know we don't believe a lot of this other mainstream stuff, but the mainstream theory is that we were covered in ice. There was an ice age, and we were covered in ice, and I've sort of thought... Is, you know, is that real? Do we question that? I mean, that's sort of one of the things I kind of just sort of accepted. Okay. Yeah. There was a couple, a mile or two of ice in this spot in North America. And it's part of, you know, I mean, and it kind of matches with the hundreds of flood myths that are around, you know, that something did happen. Mind you, this, this Egypt book I'm reading, the guy doesn't think there was a massive flood. I mean, I don't know if that's because the Christians kind of took over that myth and made it seem kind of more religious than, Really, it needed to be because there is so many other myths of the floods, but he kind of thinks there was a bunch of little floods, which is similar to yeah. you know, a past guest of our that ours that thought Egypt uh, was this, the site of Atlantis and that there was many, many floods, but it wasn't like Atlantis. He thinks that Atlantis might have been built uh, after the Younger Dryas and not destroyed in the Younger Dryas. So. I, I think that, uh, I seem to think see, there was good. Yeah, I seem to think there was 
I, I, I'm still at the opinion that there was one massive cataclysm. There was many other small ones too, but it was really the end of the Younger Dryas that raised the sea levels 400 feet. I'm kind of more with Randall on, on that, you know, still as, as yeah. an overarching kind of theme, you know, that destroyed a lot of the megalithic sites uh, and, or maybe it, you know, maybe some, I mean, and maybe some survived that. I mean, I don't know. It's so, well, it's and, so weird. In the Sahara, they find the whale bones, right? Others. They, they find, find they find giant oh. whales, uh, bones in, in the Sahara desert. Uh, they find other, uh, marine type animal fossils there also. So at one point, either a lot of water had to wash over it or it was some type of water area. Uh, that contained water in it, like a lake or something. I mean, obviously not a lake because it had to be salt water for whales to be there. Right, right. <laughs> That's a long ways. Yeah. So, so there's a quote here just from that book, uh, Pre-Columbian America, and it says, uh, speaking of this topic, after the Spaniards had conquered Mexico, the old world theologians found it difficult to account for peopling of America, and much speculation was indulged in as to whether Noah one of his sons or the immediate descendants of his sons had selected that part of the world for settlement of a portion of the human race. Mm-hmm. So there was difficulties with, with uh, you know, with the religious people too, realizing like, well, how come there's people here? We're only supposed to be so old, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They don't want to acknowledge that maybe. So that's why they hide it. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. Cause it's kind of interesting too. You know, uh, there's some people out there who I don't necessarily disagree with, but think that maybe uh, America had some was the original Egypt location. And then it after the flood, it kind of had to pick up and move. And Egypt that we know of is the second location of where Egypt was. And they often refer to like the Mississippi River as being like the Nile. And like there's these different places around those areas, too, that have the same names as they do from the middle east but that could happen backwards and forwards you know so they could have been that they came out here and just renamed those places or it could happen that they were here and went there and named those places after that so it's 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 kind of a a hard thing so that's kind of why we're going into this and trying to get out some more information that maybe people don't talk about yeah i'm not there yet with that that's a bit too much for me to uh put wrap my head around Maybe one day, but right now it's like even the mud floods is tough sometimes, except you see those, <laughs> you know, you do see those things that look like they were, you know, covered in mud or they were even petrified in a way. Mm. We went to the petrified forest and uh, Ooh. and Ooh. that was interesting oh, to man. see the transmutation of these. Uh, I'd only seen the one on the West Coast and this one in, in Arizona was really interesting. Like I didn't realize they became crystalline, right? Like literally quartz. Mm different colors, beautiful yeah. colors of crystals. These trees turned into transmuted to crystals, really, right? I mean, <laughs> unbelievable. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. It's so cool. Yeah, I talked earlier about uh, petrified wood. Is it's, it's, think about this, is how perfect it has to be, right? Because trees fall all, all the time, right? Uh, but it turns into soil unless it petrifies. And it needs to be the amount of water, like not a lot of water, but a uh, perfect amount of sun, perfect amount of minerals in that land right there and all the environmental everything. And then it also on top of that, supposedly, it takes 500,000 years for it to crystallize. They say 500,000 to a million years 
Um, and it's just, I just love it, man. I love it. I used to have this huge hundred pound slab of, of petrified wood and it was like green on top. And oh, it was just so beautiful, man. Well, Michael, yeah. Michael Tallinger's work too. Uh, he talks about these petrified giants that he finds and finding petrified hearts and livers and all kinds wow. of different organs and everything. And how he he went up this mountain day after day, you know, just doing excavations and whatnot. And he kept tripping over this rock and he finally like uncovered it. And then he realized it was a, a, a piece of like petrified body. And uh, he went, so he started to dig it up and look into it and realize he, he collected like a whole giant's uh, human with liver and heart and head and bones and everything. And they're all petrified. So it's pretty interesting. Wow. A lot of people don't agree with, with that, but he also, he's the same guy, you know, that talks about all the rings in Southern Africa. Um, the balls. No, not the balls. balls oh, he talks about the balls of spheres that, too. I think so, yeah, yeah, but he also talks. There's like these little, these little circular rings that people think were like cow herding things, but he's saying that they had more to do with the the resonance in the earth was creating these rings, and they were measuring the resonance and and putting the stones in that in that specific uh, frequency pattern, and that that all these different stone rings were are different frequency patterns. And that's pretty fascinating. That kind of coincides with yeah. some of the things that Roman's working on. Yeah, definitely. Hey, well, so since we're getting into the book here, um, I kind of wanted to touch on um, the special stones and and gold and, and everything, because the first couple chapters is dedicated to the like to like crystals and and. Um, and precious stones and, and obviously gold because the pre-Columbian uh, people were uh, absolutely entrusted in, in, in so much gold. And so I thought that was really cool. The appreciation of stone is strong and ancient, true and tried. Uh, and, you know, there's like the long-term beef because we just did an Atlantis Lemuria month, right? And there was this uh supposed beef between Atlantis and Lemuria because Lemuria had access to these red crystals and that was like how they kept their um their society at peace you know it was like part of their religion and everything and um you know it's i, I like I'm wondering if you know as as society crumbled from those golden age periods that we've been on this long-term journey to create the philosopher's stone right um also by the way petrified petrified reminds me of putrefied which is step one in the alchemical process putrefaction uh anywho and then you know we have this huge tie with uh hermes and hermes is red mercury uh red jasper uh is the blood of isis and there's like this, you know, the, the cathedrals were originally built pre-Christian. The original cathedrals were pre-Christian and they were supposed to be homes of the cult of Isis. And so there's like this, the red, you know, the red stone of Isis, Hermes, and then you have the cathedrals, which are built to like kind of try to remake stones. And I'm just like, there's so much fascination with gold and precious stones in ancient Maya. I think it might have stemmed from those 
civilizations, but I, I'm trying to find myself wrapping around to a question here. Uh, <laughs> well, no, I think what but, I think what I I'd like to say about that is that what I didn't realize is is it seems to be a spiritual reason why they want to find these things, right? It's not like for value it's not gold it's not to hoard wealth it's for the spiritual power for the connection to i think they really did believe they had different properties and different things in these and they that's why they wanted them and it makes you wonder why they wanted gold like why was gold so in an alchemical or electrical way why was gold so popular you know i mean i know it was malleable and it's very functional for certain things but i think there's a spirit a real spiritual significance to gold and many of these gems uh, yeah, if we get into like box saga a little bit, uh, you know, everything had to do with the sun and, and sun came from gold. Uh, even even uh, it's just gold. God is gold with an L in it. Right. Um, so they, they talk about the essence of man coming from the sun and that coming into your sperm and then your sperm uh, becoming part of the sun. So now now you're part of God. And then you're putting that into creation. You're creating more, just like the sun is creating life. You're creating life because your sperm is creating life. And so in the book, when you talk about how they would take these big old things of gold or, uh, you know, throw stuff into the well or to rivers to like fertilize the land so that they could, it could become more fertile. It just made me go, Oh, that's like, kind of lines up with what they talk about in the in the box saga too is this whole fertilization aspect of of gold and how it pertains to the sun it's fascinating to me yeah i think one of the things about the book that i think he's trying to get across is that and i mean i can just quickly like some of the uh the chapters like it is a pretty interesting book it's They've got like like uh, Romy mentioned the glamour of gold, the growth of the new civilization, the Indian elephant in American art, uh, symbols with a the history. They talk about the ser- serpent and a bunch of stuff, the winged disc, uh, the Semites, the Celts and the Norsemen, American Asiatic relations, sea routes, water burials, yeah. cremation, the milk goddess and the pots, uh, the jewel water and mugwort goddess, love and food, the dragons, the white missionaries and the white gods two great gods and motives from migrations. And I think what, what his overarching thing is that there's so many commonalities uh, that they can't be from just spontaneous. It can't just be spontaneously created in America. Like it's, it's connected. And then what I started thinking is this is the same as all the other comparative mythology books. It's all the same Mm -hmm. as all these other things. It doesn't mean that like, it's not, so limited to America, even though it's about America, it's about how everything is, is similar around the world, you know, like just like the Hamlet's yeah. mill book or the, or the secret doctrine Ooh. books or the, uh, the esoteric structure of the alphabet book or this book. I mean, it's just saying that all these things came from a, a place, Egypt or beyond Egypt, even, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the original, the original homeland. Right. I mean, it's fucking nuts because, uh, yeah, like they, they have cosmology alignments just like everywhere else in the world. Right. Um, cosmological, architectural alignments. Then you have the association with gold is the sun, silver is the moon. And it's the same everywhere. Yeah. It's the same <laughs> Everywhere, you know, uh, it, it's it's fucking beautiful. But I'm under this impression that uh, 
racism was created like relatively recently after like the fall of Western Roman Empire or something, um, you know, to because like in the book, in the pre-Columbian book that you, that we're referencing here, it even said that, you know, there was, you know, a lot of like melanated people there, but there was also white people. It was a it was a diverse group of people living in the Mayas and the Aztec, which I mean, is kind of hard for anybody to wrap their fucking head around to try to say that there was maybe Asian people and black people and white people and, uh, you know, just fucking brown people of all different shades and everything. I mean, that's amazing. And that's, but, but when, what was the chain? When was the switch, you know, to be like, no, you stay there and go here and, and the real racism and, and classism and everything was created. That's, that's one of my major questions in life. Yeah, one of the guests we had on recently, he kind of thinks that the races were able to evolve quicker than than I would think, like from antediluvian times to now. Like the you know, the Asians became the Asians and the the Africans were the you know, the blacks and the the Indians and the like there's that all happened within that period of time and I I don't see like I don't see that happening mm. as quick. I feel like We've been mixed up for many, many tens of thousands of years and been all over the place. You know, I mean, does like even like Graham Hancock's book that um, I think would really give Donald McKenzie some credence on his things is that it's proven that the genetics came from uh, Australasia or somewhere into South America, right? Way before they think. Mm. So, I mean, how... I feel like it's been mixed up for a long time. And the the battle, I think, traditionally hasn't been about race until recently. It was about religion or territory or, um, you know, I don't know, whatever whatever else they were doing wars on, you know. <laughs> red red Jasper, red, <laughs> red gems and gold. Resources, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, but now it's, you know, now we're throwing racism into the mix. You know, it's, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> Fuck. Um, yeah. I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, just t- maybe talk about uh, Atlantis and the origin, the kind of the origin story of that, because it, it kind of, and the colors associated with Atlantis, I, I think that kind of explains why there's different races here. And also, uh, in Ignatius Donnelly, he talks about how there were uh, red, white, and black pyramids, and that those were each for the different races that lived in America. Uh, and so I thought that was pretty interesting because in the book, you do talk about those colors. Yeah, that is, that is interesting. I, and they, and the way that they do call them red Indians, right? Like that seems to me like native Americans. Uh, and I don't, I think that, I think what that means is, is North America, South America and indigenous, Hmm. you know, and, uh, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what they what they what they say about the blacks or or black as a color. You know, I mean, yeah. Uh, in the book, though, it talks about where these Native Americans came from, which was uh, the Siberia region, right? Um, and so, possibly, they actually came from India or an area near there and came over the uh, what's that called? The Bering Strait, the Bering Strait, and into America, and, yeah. and maybe those were the Clovis people that came down, and that they came actually from India. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, they could. That's a long walk, but I mean, you know, they could. I think boats, man. Yeah, they probably came in boats. Yeah, for sure. They talk about so. I got a quote here from it. It says, "Did their civilizations and their complex religious systems have independent origin in their homelands and develop there entirely isolated from an uninfluenced and uninfluenced by those of much greater antiquity in the old world?" Is it possible that the early peoples who reached America from Asia carried no vestige of religious belief with them, that each migration early and late involved entire loss of memory so that immemorial modes of thought and immemorial customs and beliefs were completely forgotten, and that after reaching the new land, they set themselves to invent anew their, what their ancestors had invented before them and to formulate religions, ideas that had been long prevalent in the old world whence they came? That's a question, but... I think that's sort of a rhetorical question saying that, no, that's not unlikely, but they do mention here. Um, oh, I had some stuff. Uh, you guys did some bird. You guys did some stuff on your podcast about yeah. birds recently. They talk about the, the secretary bird of Africa and uh, was transferred to the pre-Columbian mythology to the American Eagle. I thought, mm. uh, Oh, cool. Yeah. I thought Roman would like that. I'm trying to find the spot where they, they kind of, they kind of go way back, I think, which is a problem to me and to the tertiary period, like millions of years. Mm. So uh, it's almost like now I don't know how much they were thinking that when, when he wrote this book or how much of a unusual uh, thesis that was. But I think we've kind of stepped back. I think we've gone back too far. We The pendulum swung too far back to saying that it was only, you know, 50,000 years or 60,000 years or whatever. And now it's back. Now we're sort of heading back towards it being longer than we thought, but that seems to be really far for me. Like ter- tertiary going back um, millions of years seems pretty, pretty. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, it's just like, we we're that's so speculative at that point. Right. I yeah. mean, like, holy shit, you know, um, I was just looking up though. Cause I, I, I know the the main kind of structures that are built in ancient India and ancient uh, Asia, and I was like, mm, I think you know, I wonder how similar they look to South American temples and and pyramids. And I'm going to be 100 percent honest with you guys, they they look very strikingly similar, right? They're different than Egyptian pyramids. They're completely different than that style, but ancient Indian uh, pyramids and South American megaliths they they look identical type of style. Like just like it's kind of like segmented up with the stairs on the side, and so I don't know. I mean that that holds merit, you know that that holds some merit right there. Um, tra- trans translating, you know the the pyramids uh, where South America. I mean, I think a minimum of sixty thousand have been found. Like just a an obscene amount of of pyramids down there. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Well, talking about the Red Indians and, and the Caucasians and, you know, the possibly the black, um, a lot of people believe that the Olmecs were a black culture. So it's very possible that maybe the Olmecs also stemmed from that same place and that they were uh, because they're also regarded to the to the Mayans. So. Oh, one one fun thing I I. I was I was like too is um you know Maya is the mother of Hermes, um Hermes originally is supposedly Thoth from Atlantis, mm-hmm. and uh, so you know Maya's the Mayan Empire could have been you know a tribute to the uh, the original Atlanteans from from that you know 
being the mother of wisdom, uh, Mother Mary, Maya, Mary, and and all that. Crazy, man. There is a weird red, black, and white beach on Santorini as well. I just thought of oh. I remember being there in 1990. There's a, literally a black beach, a red beach, and a white beach. And that's where the Thera exploded, which was supposedly, some people were saying that might be Atlantis, you know, when that blew up. Yeah. Wow. I wonder if there's a, it's an alchemical processes of, uh, yeah. of like uh, something, you know, yeah. I, I know yeah. in, in alchemy, they talk about red, white, and black, uh, but I'm wondering if it mm. like the stones themselves, uh, you know, like they're being a certain type of like, uh, yeah, exactly. Like some sort of like the mo- the molecular makeup of a white rock is usually quartz, right? So there's your there's your quartz. Uh, black rock is like obsidian and stuff. I think magnesium I, I, is red. Like there's a when it's full of mag or iron. Uh, I think iron, iron. I think iron turns it red. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mars. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. So maybe and, though, maybe oh yeah, that's interesting. Maybe through this volcanic thing, maybe it didn't take millions of years to create a beach of black. Maybe it was an alchemical process of transmutation from, you know, something the to these little stones, you know, yeah. from the volcano. Yeah, volcanoes our, are very fucking important, man. Like yeah, I think I, I think we've been. Oh yeah, go go, go ahead, ahead. Go, sir, go, go ahead. for it. Go for it. Yeah. No rock paper scissors. Ready? <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say volcanoes are in fact like there there's they're so important to um I think human origin stories because you know one they're fearing right like you know they're the god fearing people well gods are, are volcanoes because they they can uh they they can create life and they can also take it away and um you know from that though you have everything you might need to kind of like i don't know understand science as we know it now like you you would be able to get everything from a volcano um and surrounding areas that you would need to create a society and i i think we that's something else we could do if we're trying to you know date back and chronologize chronologize uh history as we are and and to look at it through an alternative point, but to kind of maybe look at the major volcanoes and then stem out from there and 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 create a timeline from that. Yeah, I love that. I I, uh, I read a book by Simon Winchester many many years ago. I'm trying to find it now, and it was about the volcano. I think it was about uh, Toba, or was it about um, one that's more recent? Um, and it's funny. It's not on his. It's not on his website here. Um, but he, he really did a good job of explaining how it disappeared. Like the island blew up and disappeared, right? And then the volcano oh, brought shit. it back up into the into the land and how quickly it became a new island. Literally, like just birds and fish and reptiles and everything just and plants and just it just became you could watch it sort of be created from scratch from this mm. vol- volcano coming up through the water. Um yeah. Was it wow. or ten, I can't I, no, I can't I can't it's funny how I can't find the I remember name of it. I get them all mixed up all the time. But I remember last time uh Graham we had you and Taryn on. Uh we, we talked a little bit about pyramids and what we thought they were. Uh I think I might have, have mentioned that on there too, that they were uh seed uh cloud seeding machines. And on the last episode uh that we did uh on the group show we kind of stumbled into this discussion again and it kind of made us have a revelation that maybe 
the pyramids were synthetic volcanoes and they're trying to imitate a volcano and by using the the water coming up from the ground and pouring it over the outside of the of the hot stones they're able to create steam and and create moisture and create clouds and then uh be able to create harvest and um you know because you get the the rain waters would be able to so they could plant and everything and eat uh that being a, a a priority for life you know and uh so we got into the idea that maybe yeah there's synthetic volcanoes and they're just trying to replicate that volcano and that's why there's so many different volcano gods and they also call them uh like mount mountains as mounts right like they go up to these mountain tops or mount shasta or mount uh sinai or mount zion which are synthetic versions of mountains so yeah, maybe, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, maybe there's something in there into the whole aspect of them being synthetic volcanoes. And I mean, wouldn't you, you know, back then, I mean, wouldn't you be wondering, like, if that is Hades or Amenta underneath there, like the actual underworld? I mean, mm. this magma coming up. I mean, you'd hear rumors about these volcanoes and how the underworld is coming up into the, you know, this super hot fucking heated underworld, you know, I mean, and that, yeah, that could be another thing with the tunnels and the caverns that we, we talk about with the underworld or the subterranean realms is maybe they weren't man-made. Maybe they're just all uh, exactly. lava flow tunnels yeah. and old, they, old volcanoes. Yeah. Yeah. And they just use them to their benefit because they, they're aware of them. Yeah. So the book I was thinking of is Krakatoa, the day the world oh, exploded, August 27th, 1883. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. 1883. Yeah, man, that was a big year. There was a lot of shit going I, on. I know. Year. I've been wanting to. <laughs> I've been. I've been thinking of putting a timeline of 1800s together because these books, like reading all these books, and I kind of wanted to just mention something generally to to you guys about about a year, sort of like a year and a bit of reading these old books, right, from the 1800s and the 1900s. I mean, I didn't realize that they've been do they've been fighting our fight for hundreds of years against dogmatic religion materialism scientism they were really pushing back hard in in those days like whether it was blavatsky or the spiritualism movement or you know even sort of some of the magic and the occult stuff or the secret even the secret societies were kind of discussing whether to to let humanity know about these things but it all seemed to shift in the 1800s um in the late 1800s or early 1900s and i've been thinking of putting more of it like a timeline and trying to piece together some of this stuff a lot of stuff. Tartaria connection right there, right? Please do, man. And then the, and then the war, you know, then redrawing of all the fucking, all the bound, all the countries and, and and the great war. I mean, that sort of was the culmination of all that. It seems. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. You know, what's crazy about those old books is, uh, damn it. I lagged out again. Sorry. I hate yep. that. Whenever I've, I gotta, gotta move inside so I don't fucking, cause every time I'm outside, I just like end up lagging out a little bit. Anyways, sorry. Um, but these old books, you know how they have, they have like a number next, what is it called when you have a number next to a word? Roman uh, numerals? Uh, no, no. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and then it has like the, uh, like oh, the, the reference the down below. Yeah. 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 
Dude, like in one book, like the, you know, one old book, you'll have hundreds of other books within that book just referenced. And I'm like, I want like, I want to get every book that I read inside of these old books. But some of them are from like 1400, 1500. And it's just, it's impossible. I mean, a lot of them don't even exist. And they're in, you know, Latin or French or something. And but man, there's just not enough time in the world. But you, what's great is you're making the fucking time to read the books. You're like, actually, you know what? I'm going to make this my job, yeah, which exactly. is just, I, I love it, man. It's so tight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just finished reading uh, Agrippa's, uh, all four of his books on magic from the 1500s. I mean, you know, pretty interesting. He's uh, a Catholic. I think he's a Catholic. He's a Christian. Anyways, I get them mixed up all the time, but, uh, and he was, you know, I think he, he kind of got pushed <laughs> back from the church after he wrote them, but I mean, he wrote oh. three interesting, uh, books on magic and then a fourth one afterwards. Um, so it's pretty interesting to be able to read some of those old books, you know, what were you find? What was your takeaway on, on those? Like, what was your, like, don't do magic or are you going to do um, it? I don't know. I, I flip flop back and forth all the time on that. I mean, he, uh, he, he had a, what I don't understand is that he had a, a bit of a Christian. It was almost a Christianized version of magic in a way, like, or he, or he included that. I, I probably should figure out how to articulate this a little better at some point, but he back off, he backed off. I sent, I sent this thing to, to Joe Roop actually. Um, I mean, I don't even know if I should read it out out loud, but he uh, he he wrote a thing at the end of his book that he that he kind of was young and naive when he wrote these books on magic because he was only in his early twenties, mm -hmm. and he had sent them to some some oh, wow. uh, some priests or like some higher ups in his area of I think he was in France or Italy or something, um, and they said these are amazing, like and and because he was so young, it's almost like he channeled this stuff. I mean. Mm -hmm. but it's very detailed works from the old, you know, hermetic stuff. I mean, it's got, it's, it's almost everything about magic really, but, but, and then he says that his last paragraph here, he says, uh, or second to last paragraph, but of magic, I wrote whilst I was very young, three large books, which I called of occult philosophy in which what was then through the curiosity of my youth erroneous. I now being more advised and willing to have retracted by this recantation. I formerly spent much time and cost in these vanities. At last, I grew so wise as to be able to dissuade others from this destruction. So he's kind of warning people off Completely that. Completely recanted. And Joe, I said to Joe, I'm like, so uh, what do you think Agrippa meant here? And he says, sounds like he fucked with something and realized it was real. Then it scared him back to his religion. <laughs> 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 Happens all the time. <laughs> could be a saving grace. I said, yeah, or pressure from the church. He said, exactly. Yeah. He was a Catholic when he wrote that stuff. Any true magician knows power comes from God or source or whatever you want to call it. You have yeah. to look at that era, too. They probably were going to burn his ass. Yeah. <laughs> they probably yeah, were. True. Yeah, so true. interesting. Yeah. So. You gotta be careful. You gotta be careful. I had, I've said this like five times on different podcasts. Now I'm saying it again, but I had a dream. Alistair Crowley came into my dream the other night. Well, probably, uh, maybe a week ago. It was in the week and, uh, 
you know, I, I don't even know, like I have like a few visualizations of Crowley, um, but I'm wondering how and why he, dis- he was there and why my, my psyche made him like attached to this other, you know, man's throat. And, um, you know, I've always been, you know, kind of like curious about sex magic because it's, it's very curious because it's like, you're taking two things that people, you know, generally <laughs> like enjoy and you know you're putting them together and so i think that's what really is like intriguing about it. i don't know how powerful a potent it is but I, well, i'm like i'm wondering he's he's like coming to my dreams he's like you better do your rituals wow hail, yeah, yeah, exactly. hail pan <laughs> did i tell you i think i told you uh when we were on about my dream didn't i the, about yes. the, the, uh, the demon lord i mean maybe i should mention it here too since we're talking about magic so yes, i'm reading so so i, I don't want to say too, i'm not going to say too much because i've i've said too much already when i do talk too much about the details of this my girlfriend gets her uh incubus attacks like demon demon shadow demon uh devil attacks like seriously oh shit so i was i was reading this last book of agrippa's and i no was it agrippa's yeah, the four, his fourth book. And I was reading out all these names of angels and demons and stuff. And I'm like, say, and he's talking about how when you say these things out loud, I'm thinking, oh, fuck, is this like, am I do, am I, should I be reading this book out loud? Like, should I be putting it out there to everybody? <laughs> because I've already had these experiences where I, I had once protected, I had once stopped an attack twice in its tracks by doing some protection magic and stuff. And I'm not, I don't want to conjure anything. I don't want to even communicate with it. I don't even really want to go out and look for UFOs anymore. I'm like, just whatever, but I want to just protect things and just be, be sort of sane about it. Right. Not go out for the wrong reasons or whatever, looking for stuff. Mm-hmm. I've had enough to show me that shit's real. Right. It, it, I don't need any more proof myself. So, so I, so I, uh, Okay, I'll, I'll say a little bit more. So I, I'm talking to my mom and my sister about it. And I'm thinking to myself, should I be talking to them about this? Because maybe, and she she got attacked that night. And it had been a year, over a year, a year what? and a half. And I told Wait, my mom, mom and my sister. sister? I, no, my girlfriend. Because I was talking oh, to them shit. about protecting her, right? About what wow. I did. So I, so, and then it makes you wonder, like, no wonder why they tell you not to talk about stuff, right? And these secret schools and stuff and that you just keep to yourself so i mean that could be one reason yeah. why right there's all these connections that you don't even know about so then i told my my girlfriend i said i said i i'm sorry i talked to them about it and i wondered if that would happen and then of course she tell she and lucky she's so open she we talked to each other about this right but she never knows uh ahead of time what i'm talking about so I'm glad that she's open with me about it. So anyway, so then I'm reading this book, this fourth book of Agrippa is wondering about all this. I'm thinking, I wonder if it's going to bring anything in or if it's going to affect her. Manifesting it. She fucking gets attacked that night by this devil. It was the worst encounter she's ever had. I woke her up in the middle of her nightmare. She was being oh, attacked man. by this devil. Could you the tell like she was like day. screaming or yeah, something? She made or? some weird whimper. And I thought, I'm not going to, I'm going to just, I woke up and I'm like, I'm just going to, she doesn't mind if I wake her up and it's nothing. Right. I mean, she would appreciate my initiative to try and help her. So I woke her up in the middle of this thing. 
So I'm like, holy Dude. fuck! Dude. So what when, the you, fuck? when you when you yeah. noticed her like when you noticed her noise like in the bed like it because like you ever like get woken up randomly and you feel an as energy around did you feel like a heavy did you feel that or did you no did you just wake not, up it was kind of normal and you noticed a noise yeah I didn't really notice it no I'm but I'm not very good at noticing that kind of stuff to be honest with you I'm not very sensitive like that. Hmm. I feel stuff I, in my so, body. Something. I'm sensitive. Like I've had like Kundalini awakening stuff. I feel physical things, but to feel other presences and stuff, that's pretty tough for me. There but was one time my, my little brother fucking like w- came down. I was like sleeping. Uh, I was visiting my mom's, you know, like we don't get to see each other much. Right. And uh, he came downstairs and he like, apparently was trying to wake me up for a little bit. And I like, didn't wake up. And, you know, he was just like, hey, Roman, Roman, Roman. And I just wake up and I see his face and his face is just kind of blurry, you know, and I'm like, what the fuck? And I just had this, this fear, like this, like there was like, like, you know, like demon fucking energy. Like, and I told him I get the fuck out. I was like, leave, you know, he's like a 14 year old kid. You know, I was like, get the fuck out of here. Ah! And uh, it's crazy, but like we've been talking a lot about Jack Parsons, right? We were doing like this Parsons deep dive and shit. And so I'd been studying Parsons and Crowley and all of this shit. And I was like, I definitely manifested his, his shit into my dream. And yeah, man, it's real. It's real guys. Everyone listening, y'all be fucking careful unless yeah. you want to experience it. But you know, be prepared for when you do, cause it's going to yeah. happen. Yeah. Have you read the two antichrists yet from uh, Peter Gray at Scarlet Imprint? No. no. Before you summarize your thoughts on on Crowley and them uh, and and Jack Parsons, just read that book. It's fucking fantastic. It's really uh, good. What is it called? The Two Antichrists. It's about Parsons and Crowley, uh, right? And uh, and I mean, it's 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 so weird because those sci-fi writers, all those prominent sci-fi writers, were hanging around them too at the time and. And uh, what's his name that created Scientology? Hubbard was there. And, yeah, like, and fucking, it's just like, what a time when all these guys are famous, like uh, 70, 80 years later, you know, it's so weird, dude. Yeah, and man. What did they do? So anyway, so then I'm, so then I'm reading this encounter of a, of a listener out in, in bed the other night. And I'm uh, I, and I put uh I thought I'm going to do some advice. I'm going to put some essential oils on my temple and my third eye. I'm going to go to bed with an intention to have a dream about an Oracle. I want to Oracle. I want to know, like I want to have a sort of an Oracle type dream. So I go to bed and I, I never get scared in my dreams, which is good. Like I don't, even if I have nightmares, like, I, you know how I just never get really that scared. But anyways, we were on this trip in my dream and everything. And we encountered this, or I encountered this sort of in this basement thing, this demon Lord, like a, and I, and I never had a doubt that I could beat this demon Lord, but I ended up killing him with hand sanitizer. <laughs> I fucking, I shook it to the front of the bottle. I just squirted it in his mouth and it just, you could see the look on his face. He's like in shock. And for some reason I knew that was like holy water. Huh. So I don't know if that, wow. had, if that's connected to all the other experiences or not, but I mean, I watched him sort of foam at the mouth and just basically disintegrate into like this frail old man underneath the floorboards. It was very strange in this hole oh, in, the, in the very ground. Very strange. Yeah. Wow. Holy it was just shit. super intense. I was like, I'm holy gonna keep fuck. a bottle of that on me. 
like hand sanitizer. Keeping a bottle of that shit, man. And then oh I thought, you know what God. I think it was? People, Honestly, I, I think it was as deep as like the humanity has worshipped hand sanitizer over the last two years. And that's why mm. it was holy. Because it was endowed with the fucking worship, the intention of people to save them, you know, something like that. It wasn't about its alcohol content or anything like that. It was more about the the spiritual aspect of the of it, I think. Yeah, <laughs> like an agrigore from the people of, you know, just buying so much of it and putting it into their lives on their skin. Crazy. It's called COVID fatigue, Graham. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I live uh, in Canada. I'm still trapped in my own country, so you know, oh, shit. whatever. Still? Well, no, <laughs> not technically. Oh, okay. I didn't know if they were legit like lockdowns. So I was like, oh, damn. No, no, I yeah, I mean the the un the unjabbed are still not uh, they they can't leave, right? Really. Mm. Oh, That's shit. how crazy it is. Technically the unjabbed can't go anywhere. So wow. Oh my gosh. It's fucked. Uh, the, I mean, it's unbelievable. The, yeah, it's so, so what you're saying is you're going to start doing these contact of the cabins in Canada? <laughs> yeah, we've thought about it. Other but... <laughs> um, things that you, uh, we, were, we were talking about, like minerals and crystals and stuff. Another interesting connection that is in the book is about pearls. And uh, I was, oh, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty fascinating. I didn't, I didn't really put all these things together so much. Uh, do, do you remember any of that? And can you go into that at all? Um, not really. Just the uh, the shell, even the shells. Like there's commonalities with the shell, the pearl shells, and oh, all that, and yeah. the way they worship um, all the shells and the pearls. I'm trying to remember what chapter and that was in. That's in like Japanese culture, though. Yeah. Uh, as well, yeah. Um, because the the pearls and the Pearl Harbor, I remember. Uh, and then, uh, there's, you know, the food dogs often have like their hands on top of like a, a big ball. Is that maybe a pearl also like they're protecting it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Can That's I play a clip, uh, from the book real quick that oh, kind of touches on, um, on the sure. pearls and everything. Yeah. It's, it's cause I, I'm connecting the pearls with the egg, um, because the egg is, you know, a metaphor for a bunch of things. And there's this really cool story in the book um, about eggs. And I was like, holy shit, because I was just talking to Juan earlier. He texts me randomly. He's like, does Falconelli talk about eggs? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, man. He, he talks about eggs a few times in the alchemical process. And he's like, send me that so I can add it to my, uh, so I can feed the beast. And then I was listening to the book and then there was egg stories there. And, you know, it really is a huge kind of, um, simile, uh, you know, these correlations between eggs and the cosmic egg. And, you know, it, yeah. there, there's a huge, there's huge simile. And I, I posted something, I think, to our telegram earlier that was like a, an ostrich egg that was, um, uh, bowed in, uh, silver, sorry, silver, gold, and copper, and it was from 3500 BCE, you know, found in a tomb. It was an ostrich egg that was found in a fucking tomb, uh, you know, from 3500 BCE, and in these sacred metals, and I'm like, wow, you know, the appreciation of eggs goes way back, right? Um, and so I'm going to play this clip, everybody, here we go. 
There is, it must be frankly recognized, a remarkable resemblance between the metal symbolism of pre-Columbian America and that of the Old World. One of the Peruvian creation myths set forth that at the beginning three eggs fell from the sky. One of gold, one of silver, and one of copper. From the gold egg was hatched the curacas, or chiefs. From the silver egg, the nobles. And from the copper egg, the common people. This connection between metals and castes is found in India. It is also found in the Indian and Greek doctrines of the world's ages, which refer to the races identified with the Gold Age, the Silver Age, the Copper Age, and the Iron Age. In Mexico, gold was given the same arbitrary connection with the sun and silver with the moon, as obtained in ancient Egypt and in ancient Asian and European civilizations. Among the gifts sent by King Montezuma to Cortes were two wheels, the one of gold and the other of silver, each one according to Captain Andres de Tapia, the size of a cartwheel. Here, wrote Francisco d'Aguilar, they, the Spaniards, were given a present of a gold sun among some weapons and a moon of silver. Wow. Hey, you don't you remember that, Graham? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do remember it. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 fascinating, though. Eh? I mean, how it's, it's yeah. like you said, the gold, the silver moon, and the gold sun. I mean, it's it's all over. Yeah, that. And I'm just trying to trying to find like a correlation somewhere. Uh, with the eggs, and I'm wondering if it's like symbolism for you know rebirth or initiation or. If it literally is a fascination with birds, because we know that to be true, especially with pre-Columbian, uh, you know, mythos, you know, the Mayan mythos, Aztec mythos, the birds, the birds, 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 feathers are sacred. Birds are of the air element. They are close to gods. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm wondering if we we were at a really heavy bird worship at some point and. You know, we really did assimil- uh, assume that life was like an egg, um, fragile, yet also, you know, the potentiality of creating more life. Have you ever uh, heard of that guy that was creating alchemical? He was basically creating life uh, out of nothing with an egg. No. <laughs> he was on Aeon Bite. Uh, I, I mean, I think that's the way I could describe it. I mean. I, I just remember years ago listening to him doing, he was putting it in an oven and doing like, uh, it was a very astronomical ceremony as well and doing certain things and creating this, this basically, I don't know if it was a homunculi or something out of nothing, but super interesting. So the, the part about pearls here, it looks like, uh, the, the, on stuffing the mouth of the son of heaven with rice, they put jade therein. In the case of a feudal lord, they introduced pearls. And that of a great officer. So they were using pearls in the mouth of uh dead, uh, dead, um, Lord, I guess, I don't know, Lords or, um, now pearls Kings, were used. To, yeah. Yeah. Noble nobles, I guess a Chinese first century tech. Yeah. China. So China was doing it as shown that in Mexico, as in China, Europe and ancient Egypt, green stones were interred with the dead. So they, interred them with the dead in Mexico. Indeed they were as in China placed in the mouths of the dead. Now pearls were used in precisely the same way in India. Pearls were likewise placed in the mouths of the dead. As Marco Polo has stated in Japan, as in India, they were placed in the mouths of even the dead who were cremated. They'd still put pearls in the mouths and then pieces of these 
Halitwice shells and rice were in, interred in the dead in Korea. So, I mean, I could get a real box saga with that and, yeah. uh, and say like part of the offering system, you know, is, is, uh, seeding into your own mouth. And that was giving life. Your seed is your life. So the egg representing the seed of life, putting that into your mouth is like you, you're having good life into their next life. With the Egyptian ceremonies, too, you often see the ankh, right? And the ankh is supposed to represent life itself. And you see them putting it into the mouths of people. And uh, what those ankhs were actually for, according to Bach Saga, were for holding holding the king's penis in it. And through the, it was called the golden eye is what it was referred to as. And they had put their penis in through there and the, their seed would be extracted that way without having to touch it. And uh, they would, uh, so there's a connection to that life giving force and pearls. And, you know, even nowadays we talk about, you know, a, a thing called a pearl necklace. And so there's a very interesting connotations oh to that whole thing. Dude, what if all that stuff Jesus. works? I mean, I mean I'm just they, saying, they, no, no, but that's there. It, I it's, mean, it's there. So, 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 so here's a really good point because they were obsessed with the afterlife and they were obsessed with the astral yeah. realms back in Egypt. And they were obsessed with being yeah. able to not get stuck in that limbo, right? Like you got to recognize that you're dead and move on and mm-hmm. then come back, you know, in the resurrection. Yeah. So, so what if I'm that back, stuff baby. all worked and then they and then they're doing that in Mexico too, right? They're they're stuffing the the dead bodies with with pearls and gems to to help them on their journey, right? And I mean, yeah. we're we've lost all that, right? I mean, yeah. we've completely lost any thread yeah. of 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 controlling the afterlife or controlling the uh your journey back, you know, with memories maybe. Like maybe they knew that they could yeah. reincarnate with memories. Yeah. Wow. Oh my god, that's, that's beautiful. Okay, about, so yeah. <laughs> I, I just watched this fucking movie last night, or is it yesterday or something? You know, sometimes I just want to like you know, do nothing and just have some like some entertainment in the back, right? Like just watch a fucking movie and not try to de occult it or anything, just fucking have it play. Uh even though sometimes it's inevitable. But uh this new movie called I know, dude. If, well, I, if it's a good movie that that deserves a deocultish, like you know, any Marvel movie, absolutely. But, um, anyways, also, holy shit, Marvel Parsons, Marvel Universe was uh, after Jack Parsons' father. Supposedly, that's a thread that we're gonna try to follow up on that. Uh, Stanley, because Marvel Parsons, the father of Jack Parsons, was, you know. Yet again, another fucking occultist, right? And uh, anyway, so we think that their their family has huge ties into <clears throat> kind of this whole uh, mythological realm. That's completely off topic, but this movie called Infinite, um, you know, it's basically it has Mark Wahlberg, and it's about reincarnation. And there's these there's these three different types of souls that re- remember when they come back. What, you know, one group of them is the good souls that they want to keep it going. There's like this ultimate purpose to life. There's these souls that are, they remember, but they don't want to do anything because they want to just have the best human life they can. Then there's the, you know, the dark souls that want to destroy reincarnation and destroy life as it is. But I, the whole time was just like, damn, dude, like, what the fuck? 
oh my god like yes like we we are because like reincarnation i i'm so with it dude. i'm so 100 with it but i started thinking i was like how how can we start to tap into our old memories to maybe help us get back to our true purpose and our true divine work and this right here sounds like the type of things that we need to start practicing or start at least putting back into our collective consciousness so people can try to fucking re you know reincarnate with some some old memories you know yeah exactly or even just not to get fucking stuck in bardo or limbo or whatever whatever it is that, you know <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly i mean how many people get yeah. stuck i mean there's People that are doing the soul rescues, they're doing it all the time. They're doing it all the time, right? They go in into the astral realm and the Monroe Institute teaches people how to do this. You can go on a one week course on how to do the soul rescues and they, they just, you just catch people in the astral realm uh, that are stuck. You know, they haven't accepted that wow. they're dead yet. Oh. I mean, they think they're just stuck in this weird like limbo. And I mean, they've been talking about this for thousands and thousands of years, this state of being. Um, and now we can actually. You know, some people go in there and rescue people, but there was Have there was reasons why on they, your show about that. That's a purgatory. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we've yeah. I I don't know if that's purgatory or if the. Uh, to me, I think purgatory is like the judgment that you're going to face when you die, like mm -hmm. that. You know. Oh, it's like the trying to off the the court or something. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think that's the it's waiting in trial. line at Disneyland. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> but you have had people on your show that have uh that work in the field of like going and grabbing people out of these realms yeah or or not that they work in that field because they probably don't get paid but they 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 sort of <laughs> hobby they hobby work in that field shit man that's a great hobby i'll build model airplanes well it's tough i can't really get to Dangerous. the astral realm very easy so you know yeah i, I don't know some yeah. people seem to be able to but Maybe those are the souls that type of, you know, when uh, another thing that that movie made me think of is, you know, when people come back and they're just so good at singing, they're just naturally, they can sing at a young age. They're just beautiful, beautiful uh, singers. You know, it makes me think that, you know, in the past life, their, car the car their cosmic karma was just so great or you know, their grandma or whoever or they're was buried with uh, pearls embalming in them or, you know, setting them off. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That was a, Dan, you, you stepped away for a second, but that was the whole point I brought up that movie is because, <laughs> um, you know, I, I kind of think that this is important to kind of bring back up is trying to let people know that there are things that we should be doing for our loved ones to have them come back or remember their life's purpose, dude. Like, it's so cool. Yeah. So fucking no, I cool. agree. Okay. Like, so one yeah, I was gonna say like in the Mexican culture, they they honor their dead and venerate them, and you know, uh, more yeah. so than we do in, in other Western yeah. culture. Yeah, super necessary. I want okay, so I want to bring up uh, the because it blew my mind. Didn't know I knew that the uh, the swastika was a really old symbol. Um, and in my opinion, it's kind of like a maybe a play off of the sun cross, which is like the you know, the cross with a circle around it, which is supposedly the old Atlantean flag or the Atlantean symbol. You have the Celtic cross, which is a bigger cross with a circle, you know, through it. But the swastika in this book, the pre-Columbian myths, uh, the myths of pre-Columbia, swastika came from there, came from, came from the Aztec and Maya, came from that. 
then it was hijacked. Like I thought that was fascinating. And uh, then I, I Googled it and, you know, <laughs> trusting to Google. But yeah, like I found a bunch of other PDFs and websites that kind of like afford that. Did you guys know that before the book or? No, no I, thought it, came I from... thought it came from all over the place, uh, but I thought it was more of a Hindu uh, or Vedic thing. But Yeah. Well, that would make. I mean, this book is just connecting the fucking the the the, uh, the Vedas to South America. In my opinion, there's there's so many correlations between them that you know. I'm wondering, and then then I think I think it's go automatically Lemuria. I'm like they're Lemurians. <laughs> yeah, you never know. Maybe. Um, yeah. <laughs> in the book too, you talk about uh, burying. Uh, burying people and mummies and water burials and boat burials in America. And I thought that was pretty fascinating because I thought the Vikings were really the only ones that did like the boat burials and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, me um, too. Yeah. And one of the things you said is uh, when they burn them, it, it takes their spirit up into the sky. And I was just like, oh man, that's fucking deep. I mean, to me, I feel like that's super interesting that they were thinking so far ahead. Like if we burn them, their spirit will just go up into the sky. And, uh, yeah. And because we'll, when we're talking about the birds and bird mythology, part of that mythology is that they're the ones taking the souls up to the, to the hole, you know, in the North pole. So, yeah. And again, so it doesn't get stuck. So it travels yeah. to the next realm, right? Like it's so it's a clear travel to the next realm. Yeah. Yeah. They uh, obviously thought that was really important, right? So then what does burying yeah. people do then? Does that trap your soul? Yeah. Holy shit. Is that a soul maybe, trap? Maybe. Because I feel like there's a lot of the correlations I'm kind of picking up on is like, okay, if you die alone and there's no one there to kind of like make sure that you're you're going off in a in a in a peaceful manner or something like that, then you might get stuck. But I'm wondering if there was like some sort of flip in the script, uh, and then putting burying. But we've been burying people for a long time, so it might be kind of a stretch. But I don't know. That's fascinating, actually. Yeah, I mean, the Egyptians somewhat buried people they put them in like catacombs or whatnot but they also took out all their insides and did ceremonies to help their soul ease on to the next place they didn't just throw them in a fucking box and stick them in a hole you know so i don't know dude it's trippy though like because uh a lot of there's a lot of stuff about building houses on indian burial grounds like you get ghosts and spirits and stuff that way so are they are they actually trapped? You know because is that they why built a graveyard them on is so ancient, haunted. You know, yeah, exactly. They're just roaming around that spot. And they just can't go to that next plane. Yeah. You know, yeah, they need to get the vaccination to get out of Canada. They're just yeah, stuck. Fuck, exactly. <laughs> man, their souls are trapped. <laughs> How do you want to go, Graham? <sighs> I don't know. The Val the Valhalla way, I guess, you know, in battle. Fuck yeah. Yeah, man. I don't know. Yes. I yeah. Don't. I'm not I, much of a fighter right now. I just I it doesn't really I just wish we were all less scared of it and, and just more, you know, that's the other part that materialism has destroyed in us, right? Is just this you know, it's just this meaningless life that, you know, instead of living and being, you know, good to each other and 
sort of following the golden rule and letting people live as they want to live, you know, and, and, you know, I think there's a real spiritual component to free will, free freedom, mm. you know, you know, whether that's political or cultural or whatever, that that's, I think what avoiding sort of that purgatory or hell is right. Letting people live free. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's obviously another thing that's been kind of like flip the script, you know, I think like, even if we were to break down society as we know it, you know, and take down the, the 1%, it still wouldn't be right in tune with earth's uh, resonance, you know, and, and our, and our purpose. I feel like there's, we can do it without breaking it down by just simply like kind of stepping to the side and, you know, basically resonating with earth as much as possible. Um, and these old stories are, are incredibly important, you know, you know, the, the pearls and the gold, like just reconnecting with these minerals, reconnecting with these things that the earth provides for us. Like, we're so fucking lucky and we're so ungrateful a lot of times and ignorant to all of this just abundance that is here, you know, and it's not abundance in, in a, uh, <laughs> in the sense of, you know, paper notes and coins and things like that, because that's man-made and it's literally fucking fake. Uh, but we have so much abundance in the things that are actually real that you know but but we piss on it we piss on it it's ignorance and you know it's just been flipped uh, sorry i black pilled just I, hard there for a second. Yeah, i was thinking uh i've been watching vikings uh this show called the last kingdom a lot lately yeah i just i watched a little bit of that i think i got to like the beginning of season two and then I yeah had they're always asking season. for silver right they're always like i want silver they don't care too much about the gold. I, I guess they just feel like they're probably not going to get that much gold. So they just try to get what silver they can. But the whole, <laughs> the whole idea of the association of silver with the moon and then the word money, that kind of like struck me out, struck me too. It's like, oh, this is why it's called Mooney. It's because it has this, it's the silver component that they're getting as, as, as pay. So I just even loot, loot is kind of like Luna. Yeah. Well, the antibacterial, the antimicrobial part about silver too, and the the like fending you off from undead and vampires and lycanthropy. Like, oh. There's all that. There's all that. Really, there's some deep spiritual protection from silver as well, right? You know, you can't even kill these things without a silver weapon, for example, or you know. Yeah. They're fighting against uh, the British vampires, and, man. They need as much silver and as they these, can get. Yeah, werewolves are associated with a full moon and nighttime, yeah. and vampires yeah. are associated with darkness and being nocturnal also. So you have yeah. to like live by the sword, die by the sword type of thing, huh? You have to like Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. There's so many interesting things like when we get into these topics. And you make those connections, you're just like, oh, like, how come we didn't know about that? Like, how come we didn't get thought about that in school? Like, it's so, you know why? Yeah, I know. Well, that's what's so interesting about these <laughs> authors that were fighting. Like, I thought, I thought a lot of this stuff, like, like Atlantis, comparative mythology, um, this, the spiritualism. And so I thought that was all sort of contemporary, right? Like, I thought that was a fresh battle we were up against in a way, yeah. like in my naive way, I thought, well, yeah, but now we're realizing the truths and we're sort of fighting this battle, but they've been doing it for fucking hundreds of years. In the 1800s, yeah. spiritualism was huge, dude. In New York, there was people meeting and doing these seances and all kinds of shit was happening. 
Mm-hmm. And and then, of course, I don't know why theosophy was pushing back against spiritualism so much. I mean, I do know why they they were at odds with what like contacting the dead. They didn't think that was happening. But either way, there was phenomena happening all over. I think they were really building up to a sort of a, a crescendo or a tipping point of accepting this. And when you read Charles Fort's books about the phenomena from the 1800s, I mean, holy fuck, just one case after another of this strange phenomena that you can't explain. And he does a really good job about, again, fighting back against the dogma of scientism and the exclusionists that would just leave out all this data to not change their paradigm. And he would still be like, okay, I'll put all this data in. That doesn't mean I know the truth because everything shifts. It's always moving towards something else. It's always in flux. The truth is very elusive when it comes to that, right? There's always data left out, always data left what? out. What time period is Charles Fort writing in there? When so in the it, early you know, 1900s, like he was writing a lot about the about the uh, 1800, the late 1800s. He he kept his analysis in his books within the 1800s, and the and then the early 1900s as well. Yeah. And he was pushing back against the astronomers big time. He was like these guys, the flat earther. Well, no, but he just kept <laughs> saying like, you know, all these astronomers see things that don't get accepted into their paradigm yet they make all these crazy predictions that they do and then the predictions don't come true and it doesn't do anything that is <laughs> like they just go on with their old because they've already attained this like this career in astronomy a failed yeah. prediction doesn't a failed prediction doesn't mean anything yet all this other stuff gets left out of the equation you know yeah they're not fact they're not like really taking like a true science would be okay what did we fuck up just now yeah how what were those ufos going it? across the moon why why are you ignoring the astronomers that saw those, you know? What's on the dark side? Oh, my God, a megalith? What? No, I can't tell <laughs> motherfuckers that. No way. Yeah, the dark side of the moon, man. Yet again, Parsons. He's got yeah. a crater on the dark side of the moon. You got any uh, more notes over there, Graham, you want to go over? No, I think that's about it. I mean, there's another book that you guys might like. because I think uh, Roman was talking about the uh, the alphabet a lot and the the root words. Maybe uh, mm. maybe that was you. Oh yes, you, yeah, that was me. But, that was me. Yeah. But um, the the esoteric structure of the alphabet, uh, the uh, esoteric structure of the alphabet, is from Alvin Boyd Kuhn, and it's pretty good. We've done that on audio, and he mentions Gerald Massey, the author of the Ancient Egypt Light of the World, in here. Those two sort of complemented each other's works and they liked each oh, other's nice. works. Um, so those are pretty good too. Just that real deep sort of um, comparative mythological things that this shows the root words of all the, the roots of all these words go back to like once one or two sources or, you know, similar sources. So. Wow. I've been meaning to get that book, but I might just have to swoop it on audible instead because uh, someone I can't remember who if it was Bruce de Torres or somebody re- recommended uh, Kuhn for the, for the oh. alphabet because there's not a lot of books on the structure of the alphabet so like apparently he's like uh, Ed, 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 Edgar Edwards Kuhn's book is one of the only ones because um, it's very esoteric super esoteric yeah. yeah yeah so that's about it I guess yeah Fuck yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, thank you so much, Graham. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you guys. That was a fun conversation. Um, also, I want to say too. Also, in the Hell book, yeah. you talk a lot about the migrations of different people. Uh, what where they're coming from into these America lands, and and kind of a lot more of the overall mythology of these places too. So, for anybody that didn't get enough out of this, go check out the book. Uh, 
pre pre Columbian America. That's what it's called. Yeah? Myths myths of uh, pre Columbian America. Yeah, yeah, by Donald McKenzie, and that's on Audible right now as well. Yeah, yeah so go check it out. It's a long read. It's like four. 14 hours i think it oh, was it that eight. long yeah geez the, oh the ancient egypt light eight of the world's ten. like 33 hours i think oh, <laughs> the secret man. doctrines the secret doctrines and the and the isis unveiled and the what was the other uh the uh secret teachings of all ages are all like 38 hours i think they're long books yeah <laughs> but we have the combined works of charles ford out like the book of the damned is really good and you can buy on audible you can get the combined works of charles ford for uh like a credit if you're on the audible oh. thing yeah yeah and that's Excellent. another I, I i think that's 38 hours or something too so. wow yeah. yeah no everybody go check out um either adultbrain.ca right oh why am i shouting this out sorry go ahead graham no no yeah uh, it's adultbrain.ca or uh grimerica.ca is the podcast grimerica outlaw.ca is our other feed yeah and then contact at the cabin.ca is uh, the events and stuff. There's uh there's some openings left with Randall and the Scablands in Washington in September. I think yeah. there might be a spot or two left in Montana in June. And uh, actually a couple of spots opened up for us just coming up in the end of April in uh, Utah for the myths of the stars with David Matheson and Bryce Canyon and Zion Park. Um, a couple of people canceled it last second. I don't know if those are already sold out again or not, but you can check that, check that out as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Go check it out. And we're working up something. Darren hit me up today, uh, after we went on the show the other day and was just like, what if we do, um, like a really cool, um, camp out situation on your property in Hawaii. And I was just like, I was like, absolutely, let's do it. And so I have a bunch of ideas in store. Dan, uh, uh, Dan, me, Darren, Graham, uh, David Matheson. Maybe we'll get like the boy Gabe Slick Dissident to come out and do like a territories thing. And I want to get some real Hawaiians. to. We do have some- a Navier lives out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she does. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. She could do yeah, some so- spiritual stuff with us. Man, yeah, we, we we're gonna get it going, everybody. Uh, that sounds amazing. I want to go to, I don't know, I want to go to the Scablands because I, like I said earlier, I'm a Washingtonian, but I've never actually been to the fucking Scablands. So, am I really a Washingtonian? Yeah, I think it'd be great to get out there and see that the history on the ground. I mean, that's kind of like what we aspire to be able to do with the show too. You know, is to be able to get some money flowing in so that way we can go out to these locations and start looking at them for ourselves instead of just talking about shit because you know the proof is in the pudding and we're just you know talking about the snack pack but haven't ate the pudding (laughs) (laughs) oh you love the snack pack (laughs) yeah good idea (laughs) so thank you uh graham we love you man you're an inspiration thanks guys uh, thanks for being on the show And uh, to the fire tribe out there, if you're not down with that, wake, wake up. Yo, so we just got done with. Grand Dumlop. Wow. Fantastic. I thought it was a really great interview. 
I really like talking to Graham anyway, but, uh, you know, he, he reads so many books on audible or for audible that there, especially a lot of the books that we talk about in this community. And so it's really great to be able to have a source to go get that in audio and just listen to it instead of having to try to read it or pronounce it. It's even funny to hear him try to pronounce some of these words because he, he, he's not really quite sure how to say some of these names either. And so it, it's, it's funny in, in some ways. And it's like humbling because it's like, Oh, well now I don't have to mess up <laughs> because I often mess up people's names and stuff like that on, on the show when I'm reading from books and everything. But yeah, I thought it was fantastic. I, I actually learned a, quite a bit from the book and I've only gotten through to about chapter 10 and uh, so there's, I think there's like 18 or 20 chapters. So there's still a lot more for me to go through. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think it's, it's a really good detail uh, about a lot of things about America. And uh, it's just, it's amazing how many of those things pertain to other religions and other cultures all over the world. And so it doesn't really seem like America was like last to get this information no. you know it seems like they're either super... they're like on the same same like linear time path as all these other ones in some way if anything it it, it it's it's predates you know i don't think you know a lot of the a lot of this book the, the myths of pre-columbian america and what we're talking about in the show is kind of like you know there's correlations between asia and south america and india and between either it's like their gods and the mythos and the theologies or architecturally speaking but you know we just did atlantis lemuria month brother right yeah and so you know i think we know what the precursor was i think we know why they all have the same story i think we know but you know we're just filling in the gap slowly but surely Mm mm-hmm but it is so fascinating. It is so fascinating. But what we do need to come to terms on as a sweet fire tribe family is can we create a chronology, a web through this show, through these findings, you know, and really connect it back to the true Atlantis? I feel like that would be a magnum opus of ours, you know, yeah. if we could if we could do that. Um, and we're well on our way. But one thing I know is for sure you know, alchemy plays a big part, whether or not it's like hermetic, like Western alchemy, where it's like all these, you know, you know, French philosophers, or it's, it's pre-Columbian Mayan texts, you know, or Aztecs, like it's, it was happening, you know, understanding mm-hmm. the, the, uh, the fucking mineral, you know, and the mineral composites and the, and the precious metals and so on and so forth. Yeah. I think when you're talking about the alchemical process and, and like in the colors of the red, white, and black of the same colors of the pyramids of Egypt or these same colors of Atlantis and how that's also part of the alchemical process. And, you know, we talk about, you know, the macro and the micro and how these things play out in our physical realm. I think all of that stuff is connected in some way. You know, we come from the earth as much as we come from the sky, you know? So, yeah, I I think that has something to do with it. It's part of that alchemical process of creating life. And we're part of that process. And so we see the same representations in all those things. I agree. And I think the colors, this is just me speculating, 
but I think they have something to do with, you know, putting them all together creates magnetism of sorts, you know, creates mm-hmm. like a, a feasible energy source of something. And so, I mean, that that's kind of just what I'm putting together. I'm going to do some more digging on that specifically. And, uh, and I'll get back to you guys on that, but yeah, the red, white, and black, super fascinating. And then fuck, where the fuck were we just the other day? It's even the same color as the bricks too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's what I mean. I think there's like an energy. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's an electrical energetic source there. Um, it was on the occult book club the other day with, with Juan and, uh, paranoid American who, I don't know if you know, paranoid American. He makes like comic books. Yeah. 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 I heard him on, uh, Andy's show, uh, the deep share. And I was actually watching part of the live stream the other day too. Yeah. Nice. He's cool. He's cool. He's like a, you know, he's a Freemason, right? He's got all these books and mm-hmm. so on and so forth, but he's also an artist and mm-hmm. he was telling us about, uh, yeah, I thought it was funny. He was like, you guys are a little out there. You guys are, crazy a little bit (laughs) (laughs) i know especially Juan's ass (laughs) yeah he's a little bit more more uh i don't know grounded i guess you could say well you you know he's 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 you know he's just older he's you know had his whole like he's had his life he's had to Mm -hmm. you know the masonry's gone through that and everything but uh he's logistical in, in, in those senses he you know you stick to what you fucking know right uh but anyways, what I was saying is I can't re- I can't reiterate exactly what the fuck he was saying, but he blew my mind on understanding what colors are. Like the primary colors are not red, blue, green, yellow. You know, it's I, I think it's like red, black, and white or something. Like that's I actually think, that's actually the part that I saw. Yeah. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about? RGB. Yeah, so, RGB. Thank you. Yeah. So. You know, we really don't. There's so much. There's so much to dive into with the the the, um, the flipping of the script on the alphabet, on energy, on colors, spectrum, and resonance, and there's just so many things. But we're slowly decoding it, y'all, and and you guys are here, part of the journey, and we appreciate you guys so much. So yeah, this yeah. is kind of the part of the process of us doing these, you know, theme months and these deep dives into these subjects is to understand more about that subject instead of just skimming the surface of these things and to get down deep and into the dirt, you know, and into the nitty gritty of these things. So we can pull out the information to help us understand, you know, where we actually did come from or, you know, what did all these things mean? I mean, we're into so many different aspects of things and, you know, Roman has a lot going on with, uh, antiquated transhumanism and resonance architecture that he's trying to put together. And through these shows, you know, he's picking up on pieces of that. And also I, I've been talking about the box saga a lot. And so <laughs> I connected box saga all over, dude, like straight up all yeah, over the world. Though. So I can start and I'm starting to be able to know it to the point where I can start connecting these, these pieces. And I still don't even know that much about the saga. I only know what I, and able to know, you know, what's, what's already out there for me to be aware of. So there's so much more, but even through some of these symbologies and these symbols that people are referring to, I'm able to pick up on it and go, Oh, that seems like it's from there. It could be, it might be seem like a stretch in some ways, but I mean, 
sometimes it just can't be a stretch anymore. Sometimes it just has to be a connection, you know? And uh, so just the fact that we, me and Roman both have these different side quests that we're on and we're coming together for this main quest together and trying to connect all these things, we're building so much more than just this show. You know, we're, we're trying to figure out history. And I think that's the amazing part of what we're doing here. Um, you know, that's, that's just how Fuck I feel. Yeah. Fuck yeah, baby. And we're almost at 10,000 downloads. So that's really cool. too. Yeah. I mean, when we first started, like the whole thing was like, you know, it wasn't like a thing like, Hey, we should, it wasn't like a real goal. But I, I kind of felt like after we're about halfway through, like, oh, if we could reach 10,000 by one year, that'd be fucking awesome. And uh, we haven't put out that actual final episode of the month yet. So and we're getting pretty close. We're at 92, I think, 92 something. So that's pretty uh, impressive uh, for me, at least. Um, we're just some small town boys. You yeah, know? So uh, we're- <laughs> 10,000 is a whole bunch for us. <laughs> We started out of nowhere. We're, we're not authors or or speakers or any of that. You know, we're just normal people like the rest of you guys, like the rest of the fire tribe out there. So that's why we, we love for you guys to join up on Telegram, share your ideas, too, with us and uh, form a community where we can all talk about these things. Uh, Alt Media United is a big part of that, too, connecting all these podcasters together so that we we can all talk and have these discussions um i think through that you know a lot of things are coming together um, and and through that all of us are are figuring out our little pieces of history and and coming together and sharing it with each other and i think that's a it's a beautiful thing man. yeah i know you look fucking wicked dude <laughs> you look like you're you should be listening to the arias well, I'm uh, I'm going to be moving into a new area soon, and so I'm going to quit being outside, and I'll be inside the house, and I'll set it up to where I have candles and crystals and incense <laughs> and everything, so I can really, really start vibing out. I want I want you I want to share something with you guys real quick before we bounce off. Um, so <clears throat> something I've been trying to do lately i haven't been able to make it out to many yoga classes i'm still having car issues i haven't, haven't fixed that yet but um so i've been trying to take care of myself at home and something i want to i want you guys to try to do and see what you guys have in effect if you guys are on the telegram or however you guys communicate to us let me know if you do this and what you feel from it also you too dan um but like do you know sit down and get ready for like a, a, a series of 10 deep breaths, like really deep breaths, right? And then breathe in and stick your belly out as far as your belly can go. Just reach your shoulders back and try to kind of like crack open your chest bone. Mm. And also at the same time, looking up, right? And what you'll do is you'll feel this huge stretch right in the middle of your chest, up your neck, and through the bottom of your jaw bones. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's this huge, like, you'll get a lot of fascia buildup right in the middle of your chest. You know, you can reach mm-hmm. in right where, you know, the top of your heart is. And uh, there, there's fascia that gets built up there right underneath your um, your sternum. 
And so, you know, do these breathing techniques and, um, and, and try to open up the front part of his body because dude, I, I've had some crazy experiences. Like I've like felt like really lightheaded after a couple of times, which means, you know, I was really blocked up and I needed to do that. Mm -hmm. If you get lightheaded from something, that means you should probably do that thing more, you know? (laughs) And, uh, but with, with having that lack of oxygen, uh, um, type of moment, you'll, you'll have a really psychedelic experience. It's fucking crazy. Like I've forgotten where I was at times, um, after doing things like that. Uh, I don't recommend yeah, that for people while they're driving or operating heavy machinery. <laughs> Keep your hands inside <laughs> your pants while touching your kneecaps. Yeah, no, definitely don't do that while driving. Uh, you can do really great breathing practices while driving though. If you, if you guys, uh, yeah. drive a lot, there, there's good things to do, but yeah, you want to make sure that you're able to have a few seconds, but do it to where do the breathing practice where you, you're really shoving your shoulders back. You're squeezing your shoulder blades and you're expanding your belly out as far as it can go. And you're breathing in as deep as you can breathe. You're filling up to the complete capacity that you can get. And then from there, open up, open up your neck and just look up and just hold it in. And then just let it out, like excruciatingly let it out. And, um, and yeah, just do that. Y'all let me know what you think. Uh, that's enough of Romy rants there. All right. Thanks, Roman. Uh, thank you. Fire tribe. Have a good night. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.